0: Welcome to the Washington Union Alliance Church podcast, an archive of our recorded sermons. We're a Christian and Missionary Alliance Church located in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. For more information, go to wuac.org. Hey, as we have walked through Colossians, uh, this is a story, this is going to be a letter today. Kind of the one, kind of the overall kind of theme is relationships. We have beheld as we've walked through the book of Colossians together, we've walked through that letter from the Apostle Paul, and it's we've beheld the supremacy of Christ over all things and all people, and how that influences all things and all people. And when we behold Christ as supreme in our lives, when we behold Him. When we behold him as the highest supremacy and authority, we've recognized that the way we forgive people matters. The way we see our neighbors and loved ones, it changes. When we hold Christ as the supreme object and authority and the highest importance, the way we view our relationships change. The way we see our families and neighbors and loved ones changes. The way we relationally at work, it changes as well. The way we view other people, it changes as well. And so I'm just praying this morning that the Spirit of God would do a mighty work in all of us as we just experience together what it means to do and how to perhaps hold Christ supreme over all else, but then how does that work in and in through relationships around us? It's all about relationships as well. So I just want to go to this. Last week, we went through the list of names In Colossians. If you were here, you remember that we talked about Colossians 4. There's a lot of names listed in the end of Colossians 4. And one of those kind of uh, intriguing ones is the guy that pops up. His name is Onesimus. And it's Onesimus is a as a uh, person in the bible we'll go to them today and he's one of the more kind of it's one of the more pointed and spirited books in your bible it's one of the shortest books of the bible and it's uh, in fact it's not necessarily you call it a book of the bible but it's actually a letter a personal letter written by the apostle paul himself to a certain individual for a specific purpose we'll find that out today that letter is philemon now you might hear some people say it different ways but Philemon is the one I will use. Um, so maybe you have, maybe your Bible's a little bit dusty on this particular page. Uh, maybe you've never heard of this one before, uh, but it's an intriguing letter and it's an important, it's, and it was obviously placed in scripture. The early church felt like it was inspired by God. They included that in the scriptures and had something to do, uh, something to say about God and the Christian faith and the love of Jesus and how it's worked out in relationships with one another. So even though this letter is very short, it is very pointed, it's a very craft, uh, carefully crafted and worded piece, and uh, it's just an amazing thing. So it's, it's the shortest of the Apostle Paul's letters as well. So it's kind of as we look forward to this, this is the kind of the big picture. Boy, what does this look, who and what and why was this written and how can we interpret this? What does this mean for my family? What does this mean for my life in 2023? What does this letter have to say to this? What does it mean for us? Uh, and so we kind, of, we kind of, in the scriptures, we look at this letter and we uh, understand that this is a lot to digest. And as we look at the scriptures, we try our best to interpret it in its context and a lot to say about what it says for us today. And it does mean a lot for us today. So I just want to say a few overall things about this Uh, letter in in the book of Philemon as well. In fact, if you want to just go there in the Bibles in front of you, it's on page 845. If you want to grab the Bible in front of you, uh, or you can follow along in the screen behind me. But for just for a second, I just want to say, as far as Philemon goes, we know that the letter is a, it's a letter, and it's written by somebody, and that was a human hand. His name was the Apostle Paul. He was the first one of the first very early Christian missionaries. He wrote much of the New Testament after the Gospels, and Paul is the writer of this letter. He is in a predicament. We will see this very closely here in verse one. He's in a predicament, and more than likely in Rome, and we know from the book of Romans that, uh, it, we know from the book of Romans, which we know from the book of Romans and Ephesians. So Paul writes letters from prison, and Paul is consumed with the news of Jesus, and he wanted to tell everybody about Jesus, his life has been tr- completely transformed, and he wants everyone to know about Jesus. And in Rome, this got him in trouble, in big trouble. So he was imprisoned because of that as well. So although this letter is addressed to a specific person, um, this was to be read out loud for the entire church community. In those days, uh, churches met in house homes, uh, in homes, and so they would read the letter uh, in its entirety. So can you imagine what Sundays might have looked like, Sunday services, and reading the book of Ephesians out loud together? Who would like to be here for that? Would like to read the entirety of the book of Ephesians? Nobody raised their hand, so we would be here until about 1 o'clock. That's okay. Um, And so it's getting to football season, so I cannot touch that 1 o'clock hour. Listen, I know, I understand it. So we will not, I know, we can't go there. We can't go to 1 o'clock um so we've got to we've got to wrap up but anyway uh philemon okay so he is this is a letter written to him and so this was uh this paul was not only a missionary but he was a church planter as well he planted churches all over uh that known world at the time and so philemon is a bit different it's a letter it's written to an individual But it's also written to the church as well that Paul planted in Ephesus. So Paul's writing this letter to Philemon, who is a fellow partner and worker in the faith, who has refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people in verse 7. And Philemon is a fellow worker in the church that Paul... Has planted. And so the main reason for this writing is due to Philemon has a slave named Onesimus. We've learned about Onesimus from Colossians 4, who that slave has run away from him and he's found Paul in Rome. And the issue at hand is that Paul has this slave named Onesimus and he has to figure it out. He has to figure out what to do with this said slave. And Philemon was a converted, so Philemon's the owner and he's a converted Christian by Paul himself. Onesimus met Paul in prison from verse 10 and now the relationship with Philemon should not be understated. So Paul has this deep and relationship with Onesimus that he wants Philemon to understand but not to push him in a certain direction. So we'll talk about the relationship with, with slavery at the time period, how that's to be interpreted. We'll talk about that here In just a second so if you have your bible 845 in front of you and uh if you as always if you're visiting watching with us this morning we at this church value the preaching and teaching of the scriptures make sure you find a church that does the same thing preaches and teaches the scriptures faithfully on page 845 it's also on the screen behind me so we're going to read this in its entirety but um it's only 25 verses so we're we will be here we will be out before um In fact, there isn't kickoff today, so we can be here. We can hang out for a while. No, we won't. Um, Listen, verse one, it's, yeah, verse one, let's go. Um, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother. To Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, okay? So just a dear friend, he's, uh, we kind of, when we read the Bible, we sort of get to see the flavor of what this looked like, this, uh, this, this letter, fellow worker, also to Apfi, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So we get a little bit of the flavor of the early church, the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is kind of a typical letter, uh, the opening of a letter that Paul would have written to to a church or to a specific individual, and we find that across all of his letters. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all of his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great what? joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So we see a little bit of this partnership and we see a little bit of just this deepening relationship that Paul has here. Uh, therefore, in Christ, I could, I could be bold and order you to not ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of what? Love. It is none other than Paul, an old man, and now I just find that funny that he would say that about himself, It is none other than Paul, an old man, and is now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son, who? Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful to both you and to me. I am sending him who is my very what? Heart back to you. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than even more than I ask. You notice the, kind of the level of expectation for Paul to Philemon is confident of your obedience. I know you're going to do more than I ask. Have you ever said that to somebody? It's kind of like kind of a subtle like I know you're going to do more than I ask of <laughs> you. You ever said that to your kids? hoping that they'll do more than you ask. I see some parents nodding their heads here. Um, And so there is this expectation there. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with your spirit. Okay, so we understand a couple of things from this little letter. We'll talk about this. What does this mean? What does this look like? For, and we'll, we'll walk through this. Paul has a deep affection toward this runaway slave. His name is Onesimus. And Paul says in verse 12 that Onesimus is his very heart. He has helped him while he's in prison in verse 13. And instead of calling him a slave, which was his occupation of the day, Paul considers Onesimus greater than that. He's greater than a slave or a servant, but a son. Did you notice that? And clearly, Paul sees Onesimus beyond his status as a slave and more along the lines of a person. He is a person. In fact, the owning of slaves in the first century Near East was very common. Um, in In fact, about half to a third of the population of that time were slaves owned by people. This was people's livelihood, this is how they worked, and slavery was not the same slavery as modern. we think of modern day slavery during the Civil War, et cetera, and that, those kinds of things. But slaves were owned as property, and Philemon owns Onesimus and works for him. And slaves and servants were found in all professions and were able to work for and achieve freedom. Slaves could purchase their way to freedom if they found the opportunity to do so. They, controlled, they still controlled their own money. But oftentimes, slaves ran errands and found, and for their owners, and they often took the opportunity to run errands and take that as an opportunity for escape. <laughs> we really aren't sure how Philemon ended back up with Paul. He'd already met with him before. But in verse 12, he sends them back to Philemon. So we're not too sure Onesimus. We're not too sure exactly about this. You see, but Paul and Philemon have this partnership. You notice that word partnership in Christ and that original language of the Bible uses that word. It means fellowship or interchange in verse 6. And Paul, a partnership is how the NIV uses that word to, uh, to talk about this. And Paul needs Philemon because Philemon's a leader in one of his churches. And Paul physically can't be there because he is in prison at the time. But what we know is that Paul and Onesimus have spent good, good time together. They've developed a deep friendship together. Paul has looked beyond his status as a slave and even has called him a partner in the gospel, and he's more than likely become a believer in Jesus during his time with Paul in prison. You see, even we have said this, and as we've walked through, as even I've walked through Paul's letters before, Paul hasn't let prison devoid him of spreading the good news of Jesus. He has not let prison devoid him of spreading the news of Jesus Christ. And Paul encourages and prays that Onesimus would be active in sharing His faith, according to verses 6 and 7, and Philemon's sharing of his faith would lead to a fuller understanding of his spiritual blessings. The more a believer comes to comprehend all that he has in Christ, the more eager he or she is to share him with other people. And Paul prays that our love deepens, and as it deepens, it has this genuine affection and genuine blessing and a genuine sharing of faith toward other people. As we continue to have our roots have a deeper understanding of who Christ is, it automatically bleeds into other people and it bleeds into our, our conversations and our actions and our behaviors as well. You see, when people are in Christ, they not only become just fellow believers, they become family. And in fact, Jesus, across his ministry, we know that Jesus has said across his ministry that oftentimes our spiritual family can be even closer than our even blood families. That our church family can become even closer than the families that we have grown to relate and have grown up with. And so, even church families have become families. And Paul is appealing to Philemon. He's essentially saying, Philemon, this man is a brother in the Lord and the task of Christian community. And as he's walking through this with Philemon, Onesimus has ran away. He's appealing to him to return to him talks, it starts to kind of emerge with this. As we talk about relationships, as we talk about Christian community, the task of Christian community is loving forgiveness and reconciliation. That is a requirement for those who seek to be in fellowship with one another. Those who are believers in Jesus seek one another in community. We pursue forgiveness and reconciliation. N.T. Wright, he says this about this, Paul seeks the specifically Christian virtue of loving forgiveness, which will demand humility from both parties, Onesimus to seek forgiveness and Philemon to grant it. Onesimus has ran away and apparently has stolen maybe, I don't know, something from Philemon. He's met Paul in prison and Paul is asking that, these, that he be returned. This is a picture of what it means to be in Christian fellowship with one another relationally. And the implications that Paul seeks here, they're big. It only comes through the power of Christ that relationships can be mended. Only by calling people in Christ can people be found through the power of the gospel. And what we don't find in this passage is a call for Philemon to outright let Onesimus free from his position of a bondservant. There's a different emphasis here and to suggest that Paul who is already in prison to just simply overthrow the entire system of master and bond servant is not the point of this and it's not the point of the apostle Paul as well you see Paul wants Philemon to accept him through the eyes of Christ Paul writes in another one of his letters to the church in Galatians chapter 3 28 he says there is neither Jew nor Gentile neither slave nor free nor male or female for you are all one in Christ Jesus those who are brothers and sisters in Christ are no longer defined. We're not defined by social status or occupation, economic status, but by Jesus Christ alone. And we wear, as we walk through the Colossians, we wear the identity of Christ in us and on us. The son of the living God is our identity as a family. But let's make no mistake about it, church, and uh, it doesn't need any of us here to say an amen to this because we know it intuitively. But relationships are hard work, are they not? And if you're a follower of Jesus, you have Him Lord over your life. We are called to a life of forgiveness. We are called to a life of redemption. We are called to a life of reconciliation. And Jesus's life represented and dictated a life of forgiveness on behalf of us. Relationships with one another are hard. <laughs> But Jesus and his church are worth it. And if we are the living body of Jesus Christ, each of us represents part of the whole. We ought to have a daily reminder that when we are in relationship with one another, and it goes just beyond knowing each other, but we are a family church, a church family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul says this about this same reality, about relationships and in Philippians 2, 5 through 7. In your what? church with one another. What's the word? Relationships have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself what? Nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death, on a cross. You see, as N.T. As Wright, he says this, the result is that the church, instead of fragmenting, we grow together into Christ, in verse 6, there will be always be forces that try to tear the church apart, but there will always be the gospel itself to point the way of humility, of forgiveness, of reconciliation, by which unity can not only be precariously preserved, but solidly established. Think of what God did to secure Onesimus' reconciliation with this. He alludes to this in verse 15. For this is why he was parted from you for a while, but that you might have him back forever. You see, Paul recognized that Philemon's whole story was weaved together by God's own hand. Onesimus' crime and flight were made to become, by God's, by God's amazing grace, part of the plan for bringing Onesimus to himself. Much as, as what we walked through last fall, the story of Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers and eventually brought, to, brought back together. And the more we study this story, the more we see that it just transcends chance. Onesimus fled the length of the world to escape his master and lose himself in the bowels of Rome, only to meet the very man whom his master owed his spiritual life. And he thus found spiritual life himself. And he must have marveled at God's tapestry and God's plan of redemption throughout all of this. So could it be, church, that God is really in the reconciling business? Could it be that God is weaving together a story of redemption that we haven't fully seen or heard quite yet? Could it be that those old, festering wounds and difficult conversations are a key to the door in a life that have not been realized quite yet. And could it be, church, that possible that God asks each and every single one of us, his precious children, for a hand in the hard work of reconciliation toward one another? God used Paul, who was prompted by the Spirit of God, to be reconciled to one another and to the Lord, the Christian life is best realized in the context of relationships, and even when those relationships require the necessary task of forgiveness and reconciliation. Paul reminds the Colossians of this, Colossians of this reality. We r- walked through this in Colossians. For God was pleased to have all this fullness dwell in him, and through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making what? Peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Without, without blemish and free from accusation. And that is what God and Christ has done through us and has brought together all the fullness in heaven and on earth, all things by making peace through his blood through the cross. You see, here's today sort of this big idea. One theme today is that we are a people as well who help the hurting, but we help heal the hurt in other people's lives. We are part of the gospel. We are part of a family which means that we are people who help the hurting, but we too help heal the hurt. And if you are in Christ, you, like Onesimus, can experience the freedom that's offered to you through Jesus. And if you're in Christ, you are free to live because Christ's life is now yours. And if you are in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. The penalty of sin has been paid for by Jesus Christ. And if you're in Christ, there's freedom in Christ because God has already defeated Satan by victoriously defeating the power of sin and darkness in the world through Jesus' death and resurrection. And if you're in Christ, you have the freedom to live a life that's marked with the very presence of Jesus living inside of you through his Holy Spirit. And this is not a make-believe fairy tale. I mean, this is the real presence of Jesus Christ himself living through you, the person who conquered death, defeated sin, the penalty of sin, and the very person who walked out of that grave in victory, the very person who ascended to the Father. And if you're in Christ, you no longer have to try to gain the world. Christ has done it on your behalf. And if you're in Christ, you don't have to be competing in life. Because he breaks down, Jesus breaks down the levels of pride, all levels of the human playing field and the relationships. You are free to live a life of service. Because there's no status when you're in Christ. Everybody is the same level playing field, including our relationships. And oftentimes, we place our own selves higher than other people. And what Jesus has said even reminded us in Philippians 2, that he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even for death on the cross. And Paul says even, and for what we know from this time period, is that a runaway slave of those time periods would have been very costly for Philemon. And Paul says that he's going to take and absorb the tab himself and pay for the debt that he owed on his behalf as well. You see, the Bible deals with the whole person. And when we have, I've said this before, but if you think of an analogy of an iceberg, um, many of you are remembering the Titanic um, and, you know, the, the movie and whatever. Um, if you think of analogy of an iceberg, there are things that are just, we don't see below the surface of our own lives and our own hearts. We only see what's the top of the iceberg and much of the iceberg's below the surface. And that top of the iceberg is our visible, sort of our deeds, so to speak, that everyone can see. It's the things that we say. It's the actions that we do. Jesus is after our whole selves, even things that are underneath the surface. Not just one aspect of who we are, but it's all of us, including the things that are beneath the surface. On the lowest part, underneath the surface, is our identity And where you place your identity and who your identity is in will determine who you are above the surface. Where your identity is will determine what's above the surface, what people see and what people perceive and how you interact and how you walk this earth. And so, is Jesus controlling your identity? Um, I heard a professor say one time that words are powerful. They're a window into someone's soul. Do your words reflect one whose identity is in Jesus? Did the things you do reflect one who has committed yourself to Jesus? What about the things you love? Because you and I are what we love. So what do you love? Who do you love? A few things. I just want to, as we wrap this, I just want to share a few things, personal things here. Um, what we learned from Philemon. First of all, we learned from this book to be a friend to Somebody. This was exactly what Paul was asking Philemon. We are, in, I, think, I believe that God invites us to be a friend of somebody on a daily basis. God invites us to partner with him, to be a friend, to advance the gospel. This is exactly what Paul was asking Philemon in reference to Onesimus. Philemon had been a friend to Paul. Paul, to Philemon, our dear friend in 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 verse 1, and friend to believers. I hear of your love for all the saints in verse 5. And Paul asked Philemon to be a friend to Onesimus. Perhaps this is verse 15 and 16. This is why he was separated from you for a brief time, so that you may get him back permanently, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave as a dearly loved brother. This is especially so to me, but even more to you both in the flesh and in the Lord. Be a friend to somebody. Uh, there's needs all around us. There are a friend, there are people around us wanting and desiring a friend, so being a friend. Secondly, to be a forgiver. We humans have this great ability to recall old injustices, dredge up insignificant slights, and reopen old wounds. We tend to be unforgiving and unforgetting. One would think that Christians would be different and a kinder and a gentler tribe, a tribe who have experienced the grace and mercy of God and passed that forgiveness on to others. But it often is not the case. The reality is summed up in the poignant statement, Christianity is sometimes the only army that shoots its wounded. Be a forgiver. Be a forgiver, and we are called to forgive as the Lord forgave you, and that is a command to us that the Lord gives us in the Lord's prayer. As we forgive others, should we forgive other people as well. Thirdly, to be a future giver. Okay, what do I mean by that? What does a future giver do? Being a future giver to somebody. A future giver restores one's spirit. And Paul wrote to the Galatians, Brothers, if anyone is caught in wrongdoing, You who are spiritual should restore such a person with a gentle spirit watching out for yourselves so that you will not be tempted also. And we learn that in Galatians 6 verse 1. The word restore there is used to describe the mending of a fisherman's nets in order to be used the next day. And it communicates the idea of putting people back into a workable and useful shape and reminds people of how valuable they are to God and how valuable they are to society. Jesus restored the woman at the well, woman caught in adultery, the man with the withered hand, and the demon-possessed man of Gereniceis. Jesus restores us who believe. Restoring the spirit of an individual can do absolutely marvelous things to their future. When Thomas Edison was improving the first light bulb, to the astonishment of onlookers, he handed the finished light bulb to a young helper. Who nervously carried upstairs step by step to the vacuum machine. And the last step, the boy dropped the bulb and shattered it into a thousand pieces. Consequently, the whole team had to work another 24 hours to make the bulb again. And when Edison looked around for someone to carry it upstairs, he gave it to the same boy. The gesture probably changed the boy's life. Edison knew that more than a bulb was at stake at this point in time. Who do you know that needs a friend, a second chance, or a new future? For many hurting people, you may be the person who they can turn their life around by offering them friendship, forgiveness, and a hope-filled future. Amen? Amen.